Okay, hello everyone. Thank you for joining our, our panel discussion today. Uh, my name is Omar Nakta and I cover shipping equities for Clarkson's by Two Securities. On this panel today, we're gonna to be discussing the, the product tanker market and going over some of the dynamics uh, that are ongoing, some of the recent trends and, and the sector outlook. Uh, these are obviously very interesting and historic times with the tanker sector having really a front row seat to what's going on uh, with oil production, refining capacity, consumer consumption, and, and all that. So I think this will be a very good and, and interactive, solid panel. Um, I will introduce the panel participants, and then we'll go right into the discussion. And as this is a virtual discussion, I will be raising topics and asking questions directly to uh, one particular panelist, but then encourage everyone uh, or others generally to, to jump in with their thoughts as well. So, you know, first I'll just make a, you know, a quick introduction. Um, today's panelists, we have Tony Gurney, uh, CEO of Ardmore Shipping, uh, U.S. listed company, owner operator of MRs and Handys. We have Jacob Meldgard, CEO of TORM, uh, dual listed between Copenhagen and the U.S., owner operator of LR2s, LR1s, MRs, uh, Handys. We have Robert Bugby, president of Scorpio Tankers, U.S. listed, owner operator of LR2s all the way down to, to Handys. Uh, we have Craig Stevenson, CEO of Diamond Dust Shipping, U.S. listed, owner operator of Suez Maxes uh, and MRs and, and a handful of Handys. We have Carlos De Matola, CFO of Demico International, Italian listed, owner operator of LR1s, MRs, and Handys. And then finally, we have Eddie Valenta, CEO of Pixis Tankers, U.S. listed, owner and uh, operator of MRs and, and, uh, and small Handys. So with the introduction out of the way, you know, just wanted to kick off the discussion, obviously, a lot happening in the marketplace today and, and I'm going to direct the first question to Robert um, and encourage everyone to, to participate as well. You know across the globe there is you know millions of people under self-quarantine. This is clearly affecting how you're operating your businesses both onshore and um, at sea but also you know thinking about a big picture with what, the, the use of cash. What do you do with the cash that's coming in? And so maybe Robert if you could just give us a perspective on how are you guys at Scorpio handling the current dynamic um, with you know, working remotely and then also thinking about the outlook with, uh, with respect to the cash coming in? Uh, we've been working remotely now for uh, quite a while. We started off taking down our um, Asian offices some weeks ago. And in fact, a couple of them are, actually have been back up in the last two weeks. And the Europe and US offices are down, but so far, you know, touch wood, everything's working fine remotely. Um, technology is good. Um, we're focusing really on, you know, the crew and the people, trying to keep the people safe, the crew safe, and things operating. The I think that's really where some, a company, we have to really strive for the A-plus grade right now. Um, all of us here, it's, you know, when we're focusing with the primary concern over safety. When it comes to the balance sheet, et cetera, I don't think it's about grade. I think it's, it's just simply the industry. It's about pass fail. It's, you know, we either are going to have enough liquidity as, as a group or a company to, to get through this position um, or we're not. It's not about making, you know, short term maximizing of share value. It's about taking in. We've got extraordinary earnings right now, the same as everybody else. And that's what it's about right now. The, the days and hours are spent on operating the company, 
and keeping the ship's crews safe, keeping the ships working and taking the cash flow in. And we'll deal with maximizing or allocating cash flow at a later date. Yeah. Anybody else have a, a comment to join in? Yeah, I, it's Craig Stevenson. Um, I think well said, Robert. I think the first and foremost, we need to look after the health and the well-being of our employees. Um, I think the industry is, is, you know, I think, you know, showing a lot of value by being able to operate uh, from home. Uh, but that's more or less standard fare uh, in the shipping industry. It's a little inconvenient, but uh, we can continue to operate our, our businesses um, um, out of the office, if you will. Um, insofar as the cash flow side of the business, I think you know, uh, business is fantastic today. And so you need to, to maximize the, the amount of net cash flow that you can bring into the company uh, and operate as, as good as you can. Uh, so I, I um, I echo uh, Robert's comments. I think they're they're spot on. You know, we, we, uh, there's been some discussion on you know being able to replace crews and having the you know the crews go on and others go off. Is is that really is that a problem that you're all facing right now? Is 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 having crews on board longer than uh, they otherwise would be? Yeah, I can I can take that. I can take that one Omar. So yeah, clearly, uh, I think most of us uh, need to address that currently a dialogue with a crew about being out longer than what they had anticipated and what we had anticipated uh, in order to keep them safe, actually, and to keep the operation safe. That's the name of the game. And obviously, uh, currently, I think most people uh, understand both on the side of uh, owners, operators like ourselves, but also our good colleagues that see that this is an unprecedented situation and everybody's working to be flexible. Um, so, so far, uh, yes, it's a puzzle and we are, we are holding back on uh, crew change uh, simply for the safety of uh, everybody. And uh, let's see how this situation evolves over the coming weeks and, and hopefully not many months, because obviously there is a limit to how far we can uh, stress our organization. But currently, I don't see uh, it as, uh, as something that is hampering our business. But it is a big puzzle. And I think as both Craig and, and Robert rightly said, we put safety first. So under these circumstances, we just need to be really uh, on our toes and every day adjust to new situations and new restrictions. Yeah. The, you know, as Craig mentioned earlier, and, and we are obviously seeing it, the, the charter market is on fire, uh, the, especially on, on the crew tanker side. Uh, rates have gone above 100,000, marching right back towards 200,000 for the VLCCs. There's a lot of talk about floating storage. Uh, maybe, Tony, uh, I'll, I'll go to you. you know, how do you see what the recent developments in the crew trade um, uh, making their way into product? Are you seeing that strength in the product market at the moment? Uh, yeah, I mean, rates are continuing to, you know, kind of dip a little bit, but then push right back up again. And it's really uh, global at this point. Um, the Far East has really come back to life uh, in, a, in a full way. The Arabian Gulf in particular is, um, you know, the refineries there seem to be going, uh, you know, full bore uh, producing. And uh, that's creating a lot of export volumes out of the AG. 
on a long haul basis, which is great for ton mile demand. Um, so overall things look really good. Uh, there's a lot of talk, um, I know we'll talk about it later, but you know, there's a lot of activity and products also around storage. As you, maybe Robert, um, and maybe Jacob as well, uh, or anyone basically, the, there, there's a lot of question marks right now that we, yes, we have a lot of crude oil flow on the market and there's clearly a lot of buying interest. It's being used potentially for, for on-land storage and dipping into floating storage. Um, on the refining side, are you guys seeing any noticeable changes in their behavior in this demand environment? I if I could start, Omar, is that first of all, you made the comparison to crude. And of course, the, the headline of the VLCC at 100,000, 130,000 or whatever is spectacular. But if you look at size for size or dead weight for dead weight, you know, LR2s approaching 60 is every as bit as good or MRs approaching 30 is every as bit as good as what's going on in the crude oil market. So even though the crude is getting the headline because of the actual biggest dollar sum, they are the biggest ships and dollar for dollar, you know, the product market is doing just as well as the crude market is doing. The, you know, the behavior we're seeing as Anthony alluded to is that, you know, that they're, they're taking the cargo and they're starting to, in size start to talk through storage and um, we're seeing a lot of arbitrage activity very unusual you know behavior at the moment you're, you're seeing even uh, all arbs all over the place open you know for example you know obviously we talk about gasoline diesel jet fuel but you're even seeing naphtha arb opening between the u.s and china and, and japan for example which is an extraordinary long distance which is helping out yeah. Um, maybe Eddie, uh, are you, when, when we were thinking about the market and uh, as it is today, it's, it's very strong. There's different trade routes as Robert uh, is mentioning new ARBs. Are you seeing time charter activity picking up to a meaningful degree? Uh, we saw some, you know, maybe six months ago when the market first came to real life, there was talk of, of time charters never really materialized. What, what are you seeing currently? Um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, spot market is pretty healthy, but uh, I cannot say that the same thing for time charters. I mean, it's uh, quite difficult to find uh, uh, lengthy time charters now. I mean, uh, the maximum you can do is a year. And the rates have fallen since uh, the end of last year by approximately $1,000, $1,500. So, uh, I, you know, TC rates now for a year stand in the region of 17,000, 17 plus if you're lucky. When in the end of last year, they were at, at around 19,000. And I'm talking about eco vessels, uh, non-scrubber fitted. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, it's interesting to see that uh, uh, charters are a bit uh, uh, reluctant to take in tonnage, uh, considering that what is happening now with the virus situation, I think everybody's a bit skeptical about how the market will uh, uh, be in the future and in the near future um, in the next quarter. Because for, for the long term, we're all very positive. Yeah. So then, you know, Jacob, uh, w w with the big fleet and historically, you know, being involved in, in charter in, charter out and short term trading, how do you feel about being long the sector right now and then potentially going longer by chartering in tonnage? given that there isn't that much demand, but rates seem to be 
demand for, for time charters rates seem to be on the lower end relative to where the spot market is. Uh, I think our position right now would be that we are uh, pretty long. We've got basically uh, our uh, all of our vessels in the spot and uh, trying to maximize our earnings area is, is good enough for us. I think it's a bit early to call what would be the right uh, time to then uh, take further positions uh, in this. And uh, But obviously, if it is so that uh, we can see that this market is still uh, holding up, and that uh, other sectors uh, are really under pressure. Uh, let's say that certain company structures may be engaged in uh, container, dry, park areas, other sectors, which I unfortunately uh, would, would see having problems earlier. And if they are also engaged in tanker, maybe that's the time to think about uh, going longer. I, I, for now, I would uh, I would think that most of us uh, will be working towards uh, uh, creating the best possible balance sheet and then sitting on the fence a little and see how this all plays out. Makes sense. Well, I would like to add something to that uh, because for us, time charter is also an important part of our strategy and we have been covering quite a lot of our fleet uh, throughout last year. We started off with very little coverage, but we managed to fix some... Uh, Good contracts at increasing rate throughout the year, and uh, and I agree with uh, Eddie that uh, it, it, there is a there is a difference right now, especially if you want to go longer than twelve months. For twelve months, the rate is still quite firm, uh, but not as firm maybe, maybe as they should be given where the spot markets are today. But there is a huge difference if you want to go already from twelve to eighteen months. The, we have been discussing some opportunities, but decided not to pursue them now, uh, uh, not to take additional coverage because of this. And uh, of course, we are uh, already quite covered and we are also very positive on the short-term outlook, but uh, there are a lot of question marks out there. So um, this uncertainty is, uh, is seen by everyone, not only by us, of course, also by the charters. and. That probably explains why the, the, the TC market softens so much for longer periods, especially. Yeah. The, maybe, maybe Tony, the, and we addressed this a little bit earlier um, in, this, in this panel, but just the, the thought of the, the use of cash. Uh, there's clearly been, as far as I've covered the, the shipping markets uh, from the security side, there's been a lot of pressure on management teams to continually try to build up as much cash and pay it out to shareholders. Uh, you guys recently changed your dividend policy um, from a, a, a variable payout to, to a bit more, I'd say big picture uh, uh, looking. Could you maybe discuss that, uh, you know, what, what you guys did and why you made that decision to go away from variable uh, to something more holistic? Yeah, it's something that uh, we've been kind of deliberating and um, kind of agonizing over for you know, quite a long time. And just really came to the conclusion that um, you know our our job as a company, as a board, as a management team, is to focus on long-term value. And we just felt that uh, there's just you know way too much attention placed on dividends in this business. Um, just definitionally, unless you can find a, a magical pool of investors that you know don't mind a return of capital dressed up as a dividend, um, there, there's really not a lot of you know value in dividend policy per se. 
um, it's really about maximizing, you know, total firm value. And uh, that's, you know, that's, that's what we wanted to pivot to. Um, so we framed it up as a capital allocation policy, which is increasingly common with U.S. industrial companies. Um, and our, our plan is to, um, and what the board has agreed to, um, is that we will be very um, forthcoming um, about what our priorities are on our quarterly calls. Uh, and that will change over time. Um, but at the moment, um, we feel given where we are, even prior to the, COVID, uh, the coronavirus uh, outbreak, um, given where we are cyclically um, and in terms of our balance sheet, we felt that, um, that our number one priority should be debt reduction or deleveraging. Um, and that, that, that will remain our priority until we get it down to, <clears throat> roughly speaking, 40% debt to capital. Um, other opportunities may come along. Um, we'll, you know, we'll assess them um, you know, as, as and when they arise, um, but that, that really is our priority now. Um, so you know, we'll just see what other you know, companies decide to do over time. Um, I think that having, having gone through three very tough years in the business, um, where we've we've all paid out or <laughs> lost a lot of a lot of the value of our of our uh, uh, companies to then you know without you know rebuilding that to just start paying out dividends um, just seems to be you know a, you know a li little bit contrary to um, focusing on long term value creation. So. Yeah, that that's fair and. You know, you, you guys made that decision basically irrespective of what's going on with coronavirus. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe, you know, maybe Craig, I, I'll go to you on, on this idea of, you know, you guys, you guys have a buyback. How do you, and others as well, feel free to join in. How do you think about it right now in this marketplace where it doesn't make sense despite the valuation uh, discrepancies? Does it make sense to still buy back stock um, as a use of cash? especially given the backdrop of governments worldwide coming up with stimulus packages to help resuscitate the economies and giving cash to, 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 to the people. How do you, do you think there's a change that would be oncoming here over the next few months uh, as, as people, as, as stakeholders look at companies that are flush with cash and what they're doing with it? And does buying back stock have some sort of negative attribute to it from the big picture? And does that force you to change? Yeah, I don't know about that. Um, you know, I, I would tend to say that that first and foremost, you need to you need to feel comfortable about the near term outlook for for your industry. And and one of the things that we're sensitive to is just we're in completely uncertain times, and so freight rates are are quite good. Uh, cash flow is uh, uh, a colleague of mine indicated cash flow is everything. And so in the near term, things are quite good. The question is, how, do, how long does that last? Ultimately, you need demand. And so we have storage opportunities on crude. We have storage opportunities on, uh, on, on the product side of the business. Both of those inure to, to higher rates. And so rates in the near term look quite attractive. But ultimately, we need to see the world come back to normal. And, uh, and so I think... I think even though you probably the most attractive thing you could do relative to your uh, share price today is 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 probably buy back your shares, but at the same time cash is quite important. And so you know I I understand Tony's uh, comments. Uh, you know I'm sort of a low leverage kind of guy in general in shipping. I think I think a lot of shipping companies have too much leverage. Um, 
and so I, I can certainly uh, appreciate that. Um, but I mean, you know, if you're, if you're trading 50 cents on the dollar, that's, that's a com completely compelling argument. The question is, is the NAV uh, solid? And, and so that's, that's the thing that you have to be convinced of. Yeah. Robert, what do you, what do you think of that? Um, you know, obviously the valuations are, are at a, a big discounts relative to NAV. What do you think with that incremental dollar coming in? Is it, do you, do you hold on to it or do you think about buying back shares? I think we just have to look at the, the big picture. So, you know, we, the, the market has been the stock market and your stock prices have been betting against the product tanker companies since the second week of January. Since the second week of January, people have been thinking in the stock price that rates will go down. In reality, since the second week of um, January, rates have not gone down, they've gone up. We have, as a sector, I mean, there are a few sectors, I think, in the whole world outside of the tanker sector that you're getting sequentially stronger earnings. I mean, the fourth quarter, the, the sector, the first quarter earnings are going to be better than the fourth. The second quarter guidance right now is going to be better than the first in the sector and year over year too. And that's great. So everything indicates strong cash flow, et cetera, et cetera. But I simply think that we serve our shareholders better right now in focusing all our efforts on the safe running of the company and not, you know, spending time on a, uh, on the stock screens, and this is coming from you know myself, who normally would be very happy to to do the trading, etc. But what you're, what what's most important is the actual operations of the ships right now. The stock, the the companies will probably trade below net asset value, even if we get a clear sight of longer term earnings for some time, because the stock market itself will take a little time to repair itself. So I don't think you're really giving up that much opportunity at the moment by not buying stock. And what you are doing is you're giving your long-term shareholders, you're giving your new shareholders who are accumulating stock at great prices, a much safer investment. Because what we can see out there is not just the short-term cash flow is great. Right now, they're pricing this sector as if these companies have liquidity issues, which you know clearly they don't. Right now, the short term is fantastic. It's powering up the companies to get through whatever. And the long-term fundamentals are getting better all the time in the sense that what's great to the product market is the supply side. Supply growth will probably go negative pretty shortly as a combination of, you know, just, well, it's an even combination of aging as well as just no new buildings, but it's not the imperative right now to maximize the value of the stock through buybacks. The imperative is to give your long-term shareholders the platform from which they can invest in and get great returns in the future. And then later we can, we can reward their confidence and trust in one way or another by giving them, you know, valuation return on capital at that point through buybacks or greater dividends. Yeah, I'd like to add to that that I totally agree with Robert's comments. 
uh, we entered the year thinking that uh, we launched approved the share buyback program uh, and we thought that we were going to have an opportunity to do quite a lot of that given where our share price was and and we started it off and we acquired uh, less than $150,000 back of our own shares. We wanted to do it gradually uh, to see how the market panned out and then maybe accelerate if the markets confirmed that strength throughout the year. Of course, then the uh, coronavirus outbreak and uh, the ensuing uh, um, developments uh, made us uh, slow down and uh, altogether stop that uh, buyback program for a while. We then bought another $100,000 or so uh, back of our own shares at a very discounted price. I mean, we were trading at around 30% uh, NAV, 70% discount. So it was such a big opportunity that we decided to, you know, only in a marginal way to pursue it. Uh, But our priority is, uh, as Robert's, uh, it's the same. It's to be leveraged and... uh, uh, to ensure that the companies are there um, and strong uh, and, and able to pursue opportunities over the next two years. Uh, we, we Right now, we believe we're going to have a very strong year this year, but of course there are concerns about uh, what then that might entail for, for next year. And uh, so we want to have ample liquidity to deal with a weaker market if there, if there were a weaker market in the, in, in the future. Yeah, good good points. Um, you know, maybe you know to 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 that point uh, in what in what Robert had said also as well is that you know, we're looking at new buildings going negative or or, or the growth going negative. Uh, maybe Eddie, you know, given the order book is low across the board, um, have you? The builders are obviously they must be looking for business. Have what have they done in approaching you and trying to win uh, orders uh, from you? Are they are they doing anything different? Obviously. Seven or eight years ago, it was the eco design concept. There's a lot of talk on propulsion technologies. Have you noticed the yards getting more aggressive and trying to win business um, from you? Uh, we have not uh, been in a discussion with uh, shipyards, so I want to make that clear. But uh, our impression is that um, the design wise, there's not, nothing new in the market. Uh, there have been experiments in larger sizes uh, and as you know, larger sizes use alternative fuels, but not in the uh, medium range uh, segments. So we haven't seen anything besides very few vessels which have done dual fuel uh, uh, designs. We haven't seen anything really dramatic changing from the shipyards. We have not seen new technology coming out. And certainly uh, the shipyards have not approached us with uh, anything uh, different than what they used to a year ago. Uh, the only difference today, I must say, is that prices are softer um, and uh, it's somehow easier to find finance, especially in China and Japan, in case you're building in local shipyards. So there are incentives to build in uh, uh, local shipyards uh, and you know you can find a financial institution to back you up. Um, but as far as new designs are concerned and uh, I, I, I haven't seen anything in the market. I don't know if the larger companies which are in the panel have seen anything. Okay. Uh, Jacob, you, you obviously, uh, earlier this year, it was maybe late, late last year, you'd ordered a couple of vessels. You know, could you maybe give a perspective on what, 
you know, how you got comfortable with ordering those ships in the first place or what was the, the main reason behind it and were the yards willing to offer anything to, to get you on board? I think for us to, uh, you're right, uh, we ordered a couple of Vela 2s that will deliver next year and we're still very comfortable with that investment. We, we, we do see ourselves as a logistical company uh, that service uh, our clients and the other two segment we like to have just a, a slightly bigger footprint so there's not much more to it than a design we know a shipyard we know and a price that was uh, that was attractive and uh, i think as eddie also alluded to when you are uh, a constant player and a repeat customer you get you get uh, good terms and i'm sure shipyards today are approaching uh, uh, you know, their repeat clients to try to uh, induce them to do uh, more business. I think the current environment where you really have a lot of uncertainty um, and has been alluded to by all the conversations on this call uh, today, um, you know, none of us, we can see the immediate future, but we really just have to be prepared for what comes next. And I think that that will lead to that the current sort of really slow down in new building ordering will continue because of the uncertainty about the market and of course about the uncertainty about the future propulsion system. So I think today is even more clear that the number of new builds that will come to the market will, will really dwindle and decline in the coming years. Yeah, that seems very logical. And it's, you know, maybe, maybe um, Tony, have you seen any sort of any updates from your side onto what, what is the what is the right technology? I know it's a question that we've all asked ourselves and we can't seem to really answer. Um, any updates you think is, is something winning out uh, or or what but what happens for for us to reach those 2030 targets? I think a lot of work needs to be done by the uh, IMO first and foremost to establish what the rules of the game are. Um, there's really no resolution yet to how to make uh, pricing of, of green fuels uh, feasible and attractive. Uh, that's one big issue. Um, they haven't even been able to uh, come up with operational measures yet, which would affect ships in the water. So I think we've got a long way to go. Our understanding is that the IMO is under pressure from the EU um, and other, other you know, uh, kind of pressure groups um, or pressure, pressure groups to, uh, to move faster. So let's see what they come up with. Um, you know, in terms of actual technologies, there's a range of, of things being discussed. Um, and what, what occurs to me is that, you know, first and foremost, um, in principle, we need uh, access to fuels and technology, which minimize the incremental cost on board the ship, which minimize the incremental difficulty of carrying and, you know, and, and kind of, you know, get, getting those fuels to the ship, um, and, and which represent the greatest energy density. Um, any, any ease of carry, right? So, um, you know, I think, I think those principles are going to drive uh, discussions and decisions around this. In the end, there'll probably be a lot of things uh, used. Um, so, for example, hydrogen might be perfectly acceptable on, you know, smaller coastal type, type units uh, where they have, they can work, you know, use it on a, you know, kind of on a pressurized basis. Um, uh, methanol or ammonia might work on other occasions uh, and maybe LNG, green LNG. Um, you know, the, the, the attraction of LNG at the moment is that it's so cheap, right? Green LNG will not be cheap and the incremental cost on board a ship is not cheap, right? So, you know, 
LNG might be an interesting transition fuel that people talk to, but longer term, you know, it's hard to imagine that that's the obvious winner. So we need the rules. We need to understand the rules of the game. Uh, there needs to be consistency so we can plan around it and uh, uh, dedicate capital to it. Um, and then it's probably more up to the yards to come up with the designs that we can then consider. So still very early stages, still a bit frustrating in terms of uh, where the IMO is right now. Tony, any perspective on sort of a sense of timing on when the IMO would be coming with, with a set of guidelines? Uh, you know, we've been a bit distracted the last few weeks. So, <laughs> uh, you know, um, a month ago, it was all about ESG, right? Uh, now, <laughs> now it's all about COVID-19. Um, we would hope that they would figure out at least the operational aspects of this sooner rather than later. Um, we, we're all for it. We're ready for it. Uh, we're... You know, but there's just so much work that needs to be done. Even, even the reporting mechanisms are just so imperfect. Uh, they're beginning to collect a lot of data. I'm not sure the data means anything. So that's one of the big challenges. Um, but just kind of coming up with whether it's goal-based measures or speed limits or load limits on engines, there's got, got to be a way to address, uh, you, know, to, you know, take the first steps on operational measures. Um, so we, we would encourage them to get on with it virtually, I suppose, now. No, no. But um, I, w I, w I would say one thing is all of that sort of leads to holding off on ordering new ships as an industry. And so, yep. So yeah. in the near term is going to be good, I think, as a result of that. Yeah. Um, maybe then just to kind of transition to maybe the discussion on scrubbers, which has been, you know, that was a big topic you know, last year, and it's really basically COVID-19 has taken over everything at the moment. But, you know, Robert, you guys have a very extensive uh, scrubber installation program. The spreads come in, there's been disruptions at yards. Has that at all changed your perspective on installing the, the remaining scrubbers you have planned? I think what's actually changed the perspective is the, I mean, just simply the massive strength in the LR2 market right now. You know, when you've got ships fixing where they are, you will do what you will to postpone um, scrubber fitting regardless to to take those levels. Um, where ships have got compulsory dry docks, you'll continue with the, most likely with the scrubbers. Um, because going forward, we're coming, you know, we're slowly coming to the end of our um, scrubber fitting anyway. And going forward, with a change of crude, you can, you know, if you're going to have more Russian crude, more Middle Eastern crude, and less U.S. crude, you could argue that at a some point later in the future, that the high sulfur fuel will be the spread will be will be wider again, just because of the change of mix. In the short term, again, short term, you're just trying to do what you can to maximize the revenue intake you're taking. So if you had the choice to postpone a scrubber fitting I, I think that most companies would would do that at the moment just simply because of the rate strength in the big ships yeah so we've seen that i guess with the with the crew tankers last year and the beginning of this year but now it sounds like it's transitioning to product as well where you're going to be well, the rate, yeah because the rates are just so high right yeah yeah I guess maybe I mean, you could you could double the cost of your scrubber is what yeah. probably 
basically saying. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No, no, exactly. And, and I think maybe the just transition maybe to another another idea, obviously, is uh, the interest rates have been coming down quite, quite a bit. And it, it opens up the opportunity for, for real refinancing. You know, maybe, you know, Eddie, uh, on, on your side, uh, or maybe Carlos, you, you know, both of you, what do you think about the opportunity of refinancing? Is that something that you think across the board we're going to be seeing um, banks willing to do or, or or ship owners, for that matter, willing to be, to be able to refinance at much lower interest costs. No, LIBOR is what it is, so you know it's coming down, but the spread is the same. It hasn't changed. Uh, we haven't seen uh, anything dramatic happening there. Um, but the you know financing-wise, you know you can always find alternative financing. Uh, a few commercial banks are there. Uh, now, whether it makes sense to refinance a few uh, things, uh, situation is the same as it was for the last quarter. Nothing has changed. The only thing that has changed is the LIBOR, which is much more competitive. It's uh, uh, decreasing. So uh, um, that's the only change we've seen in the last uh, quarter. Yeah. Uh, yeah on, on our side, uh, I, 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 I agree with that. I think that... Uh, uh, you know, it, it depends on how exposed you are to the to the LIBOR. I mean, uh, if you are covered through interest rate swaps or not. In our case, we are 70% covered, but we still do, will have a benefit from the lower rates. But I, I don't see that as an opportunity to to refinance. And uh, generally speaking, I would say that the, the traditional European banks' appetite for shipping exposure was on a downtrend before the the outbreak and uh, i would say that uh, uh, it is even more so now uh, although we don't have any uh, any evidence of this uh, direct evidence from of this uh, we just uh, have a sentiment from discussing and talking with banks because we haven't had to refinance anything this year and we don't have any major refinancings coming up soon we'll have some uh, some vessels to refinance in september uh, December, but uh, what I would say is that prudently, uh, even, uh, we, we all mentioned there's a lot of uncertainty out there, but we are still benefiting from a very strong market. It could make sense to refinance a bit earlier than you would, uh, just not to wait for the last minute uh, in case you know the market scenario changed uh, the worst uh, because of uh, geopolitical reasons or or because this uh, virus, uh, uh, the, the the consequences of this virus last longer than uh, than currently anticipated. Okay, that's uh, no, that's helpful, and I think we're getting to the end of the the panel time. Uh, we've just gotten the alert to to wrap it up. Does anybody have anything that they would like to to finish off with uh, before we conclude? Uh, Omar, I wouldn't mind jumping in and just mentioning something that Robert alluded to in the beginning, which is, I think, really important for, you know, investors and anybody listening to understand is that, you know, the headline rates that you hear about BLCCs or Suez Maxes sound very impressive. But if you do the math on a capital adjusted basis, um, the returns are as impressive on, on uh, LR2s, LR1s, et cetera. So, um, you know, I think we're all enjoying a, um, a very strong market at the moment. Um, and I just want to say that I find that the, the discounts to NAV at the moment, the pricing of shipping stocks generally, at least in the tanker space, are just extraordinary. 
And in all the time that I've been in this business, I've never seen anything like this, where you've got not simply asset values, but um, you know, but but charter rates um, at at the kind of levels they are today uh, versus the uh, current stock price. And clearly, there's a lot of uncertainty. But I really kind of question how much risk really is there at these prices, right? I mean, the physical market is doing well. The physical market pricing is still way up there in terms of investing, but the paper market is just dirt cheap right now. And I, I think that's just something that we'll all look back on and say, why the hell didn't we buy up all our stock? Why didn't we take everything out of our 401ks and put it into our own company stock? You know, why the hell weren't people buying it then? It's just, an, it's really quite an unbelievable uh, thing at the moment. Yeah, no, it sounds like we'll be looking back hopefully in six months and saying, wow, what a, what a tremendous opportunity this was. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks everyone for, 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 for being here. And I think this was a good discussion and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll stay in touch. Exciting times. Okay. Thank you, Omar. Thank you. Thanks, Omar. Thank you. Thanks everyone.